millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome back to Brooko Mode for episode 37. I'm joined by Scarlett Duncan. Hi, guys. It's great to be here and um, just awesome to meet Egan. Um, I'm just as eager to learn more about him and what he's doing and all the great people that he's connecting with. So thanks for having me on your show, Egan. No worries. Thanks for coming on. Um, So to start, I guess, give the audience and even myself a bit more of a background. So obviously you're a running coach, Pilates instructor, done a lot of study, and you're also an ultra runner yourself. So I guess tell us a bit more about your running journey and, you know, what inspired you to start Dose Running. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dose is four years old, um, but it probably started way back before I even knew what Dose stood for. So Dose is all the healthy and happy hormones, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins. And they're kind of naturally like organic occurring within us, but they're definitely nurtured by the actions we take, what we're surrounded by, our behaviours and our environment. So um, back where it all started would probably be my childhood and I lived really remotely and didn't have much opportunity to do co-curricular activities, let alone sport, which is always something I've just been drawn to and it obviously really elicits those um, hormones and feelings within me Um, so I used to run around on the farm and it was like far from getting medals it was a very intrinsic feeling Um, and of course you know school things like there would be a bit more of that um, celebration if there was success but really early on it was just something I absolutely loved doing um, and then you, you go through the school system, which obviously really celebrates uh, the achievers. And um, it still wasn't something that kind of showed as a bit of a talent until I was like year seven, which is quite young. But suddenly I realised like, oh, it was a little bit of a talent. And then uh, I got to go away to boarding school and like took up every opportunity I could. I'd never had and I just dived straight into it. 
um, and especially the running. And what I found was it was like quite a competitive, a bit of an elitist approach of you do music if you're good at music, you do running if you're good at running, you do swimming. Um, and we we were good. We were really strong. We had a lot of state runners, but we lacked depth. Um, and, you know, there wasn't necessarily huge culture behind it. So when I started to realise, like, oh, we can get people down that aren't necessarily going to be winning. They might not be in the top ten, but they want to be here. Like, they should be. It's not hard to be involved. And that was probably the first time I realised that I got just as much satisfaction, probably even more so from, like, amping people up, getting them involved and... um, I guess, like, supporting them uh, to be part of that. And we changed the culture a bit. And the, the whole team did really well because of that depth and that culture. So it's funny, it, it definitely started as an intrinsic experience of my own. And then, thankfully, I had an experience to share it and kind of identify that that's something that really fulfilled me. As a coach, how important is it to help people realize the importance of that the internal value you can get from running discovering yourself becoming better than I think a lot of people get into the health space and it's you know to look a certain way um you know not within ourselves so how important is as a coach and I know growing up you sort of learned the value of internal so how important is that for your philosophy oh it's a it's a huge part of it so um most of the population that runs is a, a recreational runner. Even if they take it competitively to be the top of the field is, you know, it's so incredible to be up there. So for most of us and myself included, I would say I'm a recreational runner, even though at times that's competitive and at times that's podium performances. Um, it's like if you compare yourself to others, it can really like, Comparison is the thief of joy. So it can really take away from that um, enjoying the process and working on your own self-growth and and that journey to, yeah, like experience and expand and really enjoy the process. So um, enjoying the process is something I hugely emphasise, um, no matter if I'm working with someone who's hopeful to run 5K in six months or if their, you know, goal is a sub three-hour marathon or an ultra that they just don't even know if they will be able to finish. So um, regardless of who that person is, they have to enjoy the process and that will look a bit different for everyone. Um, But as soon as you start to compare, you know, even with my own success, I'm so far down the pecking order on a a global scale on how far you can take things. Um, But if I focused on that, it would would steal a little bit of that joy. And, yeah, it's it's not really the outcome. I think especially as people dip into endurance and ultra, it really is the process because as soon as you make the achievement, I like the dopamine is like it kind of drops because it's all about that sense of reward and working towards it. So, you know, the benchmark just grows usually. You know, if you've had a good experience, you've trained well and you've learnt along the way, you know, that 
5K or that 100K, the next thing is a little bit more epic usually. And I've seen people kind of transform or build confidence regardless of like the scale or the size of their goal. It's really about their comfort zone. Yeah, going beyond or pushing pushing their comfort zone. What are your thoughts on apps like Strava then? Oh, Strava's a funny one. Personally, I almost get like social media anxiety um, and you'll notice I'm not hugely present on the socials. Um, and Strava's just another one of those. I keep a lot of my data. I'll just opt to put it out there or I don't really kudos because I suddenly feel like I have to kudos everyone. Um, so I'd much rather, I really enjoy working with people, my athletes, I'll have those conversations with them, but not be as, um, much of an online cheerleader. (laughs) Um, but I think Strava's amazing, you know, it still can help connect people or, you know, king of the mountain, you know, if that drives people, then it's great that they're going to go out and have a crack at that. So everything has its place and then I guess we always have to work out if we how we react to that yeah yeah so we spoke about the dose so the neurochemicals from running so how important is it for you to educate your clients about these while also just making them experience it for themselves yeah I think I probably help them more as they experience it Um, I'm not a neuroscientist so it would be out of my scope to you know, talk about the details of it or give them prescriptions around it. It's more just connecting um, connecting and helping them reflect on that and, and check that we're on track with those experiences as well because um, it's, it's almost a byproduct when you've set to do a goal. Um, but comparison something that comes up a lot with everyone um, and especially – a new runner who maybe their body is going to take a lot longer to adapt to load than someone else for whatever reason, their experiences, maybe their natural athleticism is just a little different. Um, and that can be, you know, a bit frustrating for people. Um, but, you know, I recently connected with an amazing ultra athlete, Erica Laurie, and I... I myself just finished 100k it was such a wonderful experience I'm really proud of my achievement I loved both the process but also like I was almost in tears on the start line just feeling like this is where I'm meant to be and um how like happy I am with my body to be here and my mind um so like almost an overwhelming feeling of joy um and then you know I'm interviewing Erica soon or at a a Run Nation, a a film festival. She ran Bib Track, which is 1,000 kilometres in 10 days. So, you know, I'm stoked with my achievement. Here's someone next to me that's run 100 kilometres 10 days straight. Um, And if I compared myself to that, I might feel like my accomplishment is so minute. Um, So you, you can't, like it's like, Maybe I grew the same amount as what she did in our in our journeys and our achievements, and I think that's the same for someone who's maybe learning or returning to running. Yeah, 
<clears throat> Speaking about that 100-kilometre race, I spoke to someone else before who's getting into that long-distance running and stuff and spoke about how once you get into, you know, the longer stuff, you become really present and sort of transcends, like, time and you be, it becomes almost spiritual. Like, I don't know, I've never really experienced it because I haven't probably ran far enough, but I guess take us through your experience with, you know, going from X amount of kilometre runs to gradually building up and how that sort of changed the running experience. Yeah, I think um, running can be like meditation and uh, maybe that sense of flow and like a sense of ease, even if it's difficult, um, feeling almost invincible in either that moment or that training run or... um, yeah, it's, it really can be meditation and maybe that happens more with experience because, you know, extending your long runs might seem like a bit of a mental battle, like you're working into things you didn't know were possible and it can be a bit taxing on the mind. Um, but once you start to get the flow and I think it's really important when you work with athletes that they understand a little bit about why they're doing those things Um, because as humans we have a natural tendency to do them like harder or faster and expect that to be better Um, and maybe at times that's the case but also at times you can't rush the process in training or in life. Um, So ultra running or, or dipping into the endurance world does start to really teach you that you go hard and hot and and something burns like mentally fatiguing or injury or illness um but if you take that process you accept that it it takes time and you have a bit of a plan forward for that it's much more sustainable and yeah I think a lot of people do start to find oh it was quite meditative or it's time for them to like set up for the day or reflect on the day but often for myself personally I I won't be thinking of much it can be a real dream time reflection time or sometimes a 90 minute run for me will feel like I've been out there for 20 minutes um so you yeah you almost relax into it but that happens you know you're training your mind but you're training your body and by training your body you're training your mind so they're they're so intertwined which is an obvious statement but when you're experiencing it I think you you learn how valuable it is that you know you can't be stronger in the mind and just push the body it will break you have to work with the body (laughs) Um, and sometimes working with the body makes your mind stronger because you've just achieved something or yeah, you've, you've set the bar high for yourself and you've been disciplined and committed and um, to that whole process. Yeah. How important as a runner yourself and as a coach is the clarity of purpose? Like we talk about the why, so working with clients or even with yourself and thinking like this is why I'm doing it and sort of holding you accountable to that because I feel like the burnout thing can just come from the whole chasing more and wanting to feel the you know, the, the dopamine benefits of more, but how do you sort of work with yourself and then others to make sure that, you know, you don't overdo it, but um, you're clear with why you're running? Yeah, well, I think 
Um, purpose as a coach and also as a, it's my full-time career, I've dedicated myself to this, would be um, sometimes understanding I've chosen something that might not necessarily be as financially rewarding, but it's so fulfilling. Um, and I, I talk about Akagi a little bit, a Japanese concept, which is all about fulfillment and you need to balance all those components to maybe thrive and so that's an important factor for me because if one of those elements is out then maybe I can't give them my best Um, and then for and that's something I've had to learn in terms of prioritizing my own training and achievements as well because it is tied in there and it does actually add value to the people I work with and my energy um, and then for people and their own purpose, uh, a lot of people do really run for mental health and they're not interested in racing. Maybe they're interested in participating in events or maybe they're not. So it's really cool that running is such a – I think it's a growing trend that people are there first and foremost because they feel better and happier and usually running most of the time is outdoors a really healthy thing for us in, here in Perth we're lucky a lot of sunrise run culture um, and connecting with people so running with your social group or your training club and going to bigger events um, meeting people doing similar experiences just kind of connecting and being outside and then exercising and um yeah, just recognising that purpose. Uh, and then that really is a foundation. Even if you're a performance athlete and you are so set on a goal, remembering that and remembering to have patience and work with your body because you you need to, to step up onto the start line. You can't just push through that. So remembering your initial purpose and why you love it on a daily basis because often those really competitive athletes, without it, they might even struggle with taper weeks where they're reducing their load and they, you know, like they're almost, I can't say it, but maybe have a bit more of an exercise addiction or their personality type's a bit more committed or A-type. Um, but... They need to know that that's an important process so they can be doing it next week and next year and have that sustainability. So how important is rest then for consistency? Rest will change. I mean, it's so important. You um, get fitter when you're recovering. That's when adaptation occurs. So you need the stimulus and then you recover and you're you're getting fitter in that process. Um, But that will look different for your goals. The, you know higher intensity shorter events probably rest is is huge um as you go into ultra marathon it's a bit of a game-changing space uh especially on the elite end you hear some of the elite athletes and what they are doing and the hours that they are on their feet training is almost breaking sports science like it almost doesn't make sense but it's just a whole nother world on its own Um, And I think it's a really exciting space because as we get more sports science, it's becoming a little bit more um, professional, um, it's drawing more attention, more people are interested in it. I think it will just keep blowing people's minds. Um, But rest, 
yeah, it's so important and it looks a little different for everyone. Um, but I think, yeah, mental rest is just as important as physical rest too. So learning as a runner what you can do on your rest days, whether you can relax and enjoy a gentle walk and a dip in the ocean or go to yoga and, and not have to win at the poses just to be and to flow and to move your breath. Yeah. How important is it for you to give yourself evidence and uh, links to self-doubt? And I always I talk about outwork your self-doubt because I feel like with running, like I want to become a better runner, but what better way than just to do the running and give yourself the proof that you're becoming the person you want to be. And I feel like a lot of this world is like trying to make things easy for ourselves and yeah. trying to reframe everything to make it easy. But I feel like, you know, how important is it just to get it done and change your expectations with running just to, you know, do the work? Yeah, it definitely, um, you know, it takes action. You can't, um, I mean, you might be more natural and be able to get away with doing a little less or so, but unless you're doing the work, there's no way around it. Um, you, you have to be taking action daily and sometimes daily that is the rest day, uh, but you you can't take those shortcuts. So, And it's such a long process. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, I've got a goal in six weeks and you can change a little bit sometimes depending on what they have been doing. But really you want to be working with people for 12 weeks or, or longer. Um, it's such a layers sport and where you are a year from now or a year ago, you really should be adding a few layers and maybe able to have more of a base load and you've adapted to that and um, build on your running. Like runners are usually more towards their peak around 30. Yeah. We've seen some amazing um, – the women's endurance scene has some epic mm. like mothers that have even entered running late. So <laughs> – They've, but they've had the discipline to keep going. And some athletes have way more of that than me. Um, for myself, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and, yeah, I've had to be a lot more patient with myself and I've really had to focus on my own, like, journey and goals and um, really be patient, work with my body because there's been times where it's been pretty deformed and in a lot of pain and you can't just push on with that. And if you compare yourself to people who are able to keep training, um, it can be like quite upsetting because that's what you want to be doing. So it's like a little catch um, and that experience, which is something I have to manage continuously um, and thankfully do have really good management of it. Um, it's taught me a lot of compassion and I work with a lot of recreational athletes that have careers, have families, everyone has their own challenges in life and, you know, often we, we're running and it's a space to like process those or, you know, fulfil ourselves when we're giving so much to other people, to work, to family. Um, so as much as I wish I hadn't had that really challenging time in my life and it wasn't something that somewhat hindered my running journey or my 
um, ability to just fully commit to it. I yeah have a very compassionate approach when I work with people, and I think it's it's a little silver lining in there. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Was it rheumatoid arthritis? Because yeah. I'm a bit in the dark with what it yeah. actually means. That's all right. It's a autoimmune disease, which autoimmune for the most part is quite confusing. Um, there's no real like answer as to why some people develop an autoimmune disease or not. Um, it can be a bit triggering when people are like, "Oh, we go gluten free. That will. That's why you've got rheumatoid." And you learn to, you know, take certain things on and explore that. And you learn when to go like, "Okay, that that's a very narrow minded approach." And and for me, I think there are a lot of factors that maybe triggered an autoimmune response. Um, and it was something that at 20 years old I really struggled with and I was diagnosed just before my 21st. I had, yeah, very, like you could see it in my fingers, in my walking. I was like torn from my running. Um, it's still like quite an upsetting time of my life to reflect on. Um, so does it, does it go away? Or yeah, is it, it just will, a managing thing? It affects your joints predominantly. And for me, it was super aggressive and I looked really fit and healthy. So, you know, I'm going and seeing doctors. I also didn't have that many skills to communicate. I was almost a bit stoic. Now I'm like a lot more emotional and open and just happy to be that way. And I think it's better for communication um, and mental health. But I, yeah, I was in so much pain and it was, you know, affecting my joints, debilitating me. And by the time I was diagnosed, it was quite severe. So for me, it took about five years to get healthy. And running was like such a passion of mine from that childhood, like all through when I did run quite competitively. Um And it was so hard being torn from it at that time, but it was also like a little fire inside me that like I knew I had to keep exploring, keep doing all the one percenters, keep resilient to to not just drop into a really dark place. Um, So I'm so glad I I had running. Um, And I think it's probably the thing that got me through that time. And now... With, you know, it is with the help of medication, which I'm currently mostly off, um, thanks to just working hopefully with my body. And, um, but it's also, you know, how you manage stress, the, you know, the food we eat, the sleep, you know, it's not really just one thing. So for me, um, I've had to prioritise that in life. And there's times where I haven't understood why it's, you know, almost flared up again. And often you you get through it and then you can reflect. And I think that's with all of us, like when we're in a a hard time or a stressed space, whether it's the minute or the the week or the year of our life, um, when you get through that and hopefully with the help of people as well, you have a bit more perspective. Like I've had times like that and I was so happy. I was almost like a manic with happiness and I wasn't sleeping enough. And sleep's so important for inflammation. So it wasn't until I got through that little phase that I went, oh, I need to I need to really prioritise sleep to keep healthy again. Um, yeah, so it's just a, a, 
frustrating thing to have um, but I think I've learned how to work with it and how to manage stress and um, nurture my body as best I can to to be able to yeah, do some awesome things like run 100k. How important is it to work with our body by giving it as much help as we can with sleep, sunlight, good foods? How did you sort of learn through your experience and did you do much research for that or was it just yeah I think um it's it's so important um and I think for the most part people really realize that now for physical health for mental health um community being outdoors exercising or you know um whether it's art or something that you know really uh, ignites you um but through that time I think you know, hopefully everyone's evolving through life every day, every year. Um, and I was a bit of a no toxic person. Like even through school, I was a bit like, my body's a temple, I don't want to put anything bad in it. And I don't even know where that came from. Um, but I, I've probably learnt more so in the last maybe eight years that, you know, fueling enough is so important. And I would rather put some you know, maybe not so ideally pure, nat- like natural and wholesome food in my body um, now to make sure I have enough fuel, which is so big in distance running, than back then when I might go like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not eating that because that's not healthy. And then you learn through different times that, well, if you're underfueling, that wreaks havoc on your hormonal system. And I think that's a conversation in in their health scene a lot at the moment, um, especially with uh, training through your cycle and hormonal health. But, yeah, you just – you're always learning and you're learning from experiences and that happens in events as well. I learn from every event I did and I am really lucky I get to coach kids, which is awesome. Um, and often parents really want to set them up for the, the most success, which is, like, awesome. Um, but – Part of that is the experience of racing and if they've won or if they've come in in the back of the pack, hopefully they can learn something from their event to carry forward into maybe their training or their – and that's the same for all of us. Do you have any experiences where, um, you know, you might not have fueled properly or been on top of your electrolytes and stuff like that? Well, how important is electrolytes because I'm a big believer in that and saying I'm – interested in I think a lot of people don't even realize how important it is um yeah yeah well I think um the best expert would be probably a sports dietitian in in that space if you wanted to get really in depth with it um but in running you can be so mentally strong you can have done all the training if you're doing an event, especially the, the half marathon, the full or any ultra, so any distance over a marathon is usually considered ultra, um, the nutritional component is huge. So on my 100K, I consumed 70 grams of carbohydrate per hour every hour that I was out there. And I was out there for 10 hours and 41 minutes. Um, and that's right from the start. And trust me, it 5.30 in the morning, you do not feel like eating. It's mainly in the form of sugar, so the glycogen in our muscles is easily access- accessible. Um, you don't feel like it. It's not 
enjoyable. It's not like eating a, a yummy toasty <laughs> or something you actually enjoy. Um, but it, at that point, it's about performance and um, it might not be considered healthy as such, especially if you're a bit of a health-focused person. It might feel wrong that that's healthy, but if you're underfeeling, it's mm. going to put your body under immense stress. So you could look at it in that light and actually it is quite healthy. <laughs> yeah. In that 100-kilometre race, do you remember sort of how you were feeling? Because like, I'm, I'm – I've I've been doing a few one hour runs recently. Jeez, it, it can get hard in the mind. So I can only imagine extrapolating that to a ten hour run. Um, I guess, you know, I guess tell tell me about the just the experience of that of that run. Yeah, well, um, with running, like as you physically adapt, it can feel less stressful on the mind. So myself, if I ran, oh, even a 5k time trial that's quite stressful on the mind you're pushing you're pushing your body um really to the brinks and what it can tolerate and it's quite intense um but as you adapt and you do the appropriate intensity distribution and recovery and you train your body you can probably access you know those one hour runs at at a lower stress state mentally your heart rate's working less you've got build a bit of muscle and strength to to support that run so I think it it will happen with time um but don't run every run 100% um go out and try and run that at chatting pace uh even if that means dipping into a few walks um but for myself out there this run I went in with a really relaxed mindset and it made for a really enjoyable event um it may have cost me a little bit from getting on the podium I missed out just uh coming in fourth um and naturally I think everyone would you know be great to to step up onto that um but it does all come back to like it's the journey you know in the world scheme of things <laughs> there's people doing those crazier things so you got to enjoy it as well um I really struggle every time I get COVID with heart rate for a long time so I signed up for the event about six weeks out I'd only kind of felt like I'd cleared that heart rate issue I'd had three weeks of going from running 20Ks a week, build a little bit, build a little bit. I said, yep, I know my body is is healthy and it's ready to go now. Got six weeks or six or seven weeks to go. I'm going to sign up for that event. I'm going to book my flights, you know, just make it happen. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's fast or slow. It's probably going to be a bit painful anyway, regardless of how conditioned I am. Um, and then that process was just building – to the like on the most rapid end of the scale that I safely could you risk you know bone stress injury if you are training too much and not recovering even though you could be feeling amazing um so I was playing with a fine line but thankfully having like over a decade of experience I know my body very well and I I can learn where that line is um so I went in, like, that almost took the pressure off. I went in really relaxed and really enjoyed it. There were certainly times where it was really tough. I'd love to do a 100-miler at one stage. Um, and I asked myself a few times, do I really want to run 100 miles? Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely do. <laughs> uh, so you, you usually have a few physical things. I started off with a little bit of a sciatic feeling, 
And often you think, oh, if I just didn't have that one little niggle, this would be so enjoyable right now. And then that kind of dissipated. And then my I felt the blister on my toe just like almost expand like in this mm. moment and, I, and at that point you're like oh if I just didn't have that one bit of discomfort be so enjoyable right now um and then you get to a point of fatigue my quads were shot there was 2,000 ascents so going up um which is actually easier than going down especially when it's just big continuous steep downs it really like puts a lot of force mm. through the body burns the quads so then um, once my cords were fried, that was, that was that and I just had to keep going with that. Um, but, you know, mentally you're like it, it's quite fun because you, you're able to enjoy like the different scenery. For me, like having that bit of curiosity and the unknown is um, helpful for my performance. Uh, I don't prepare a lot for courses. I never really go and check out do a course recce, which maybe for on a podium, if that was my real focus, would be helpful. But I just love the experience of the unknown. So I like going into that and um, I think it makes it a bit easier when the going gets tough to, to have fun and think, whoa, look out like at that waterfall or that big expansive view or um, that's a little bit fun for me. Yeah. Have you learnt to sort of find some comfort in the discomfort? I know you said your mind your mind just loves to es- – we, we just love to escape the pain, but are you sort of still learning skills to be able to stay present with those feelings? Because I feel like that's one of the most powerful things that you can learn with pushing your body is you can actually cope and um, adapt to the stimulus and actually go through more than we think we're capable of. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely – like I'm sure I haven't even really gone near to what I'm capable of but maybe that just takes time and a process right so every time you do even the training can stretch that comfort zone or the the event itself does stepping into the unknown or the uncertain embracing uncertainty (laughs) um which is something I I try and do a little bit more in my life outside of running um but yeah I think you do learn to embrace that discomfort. Um, there's always going to be. You, you are running to a point of physical fatigue and there's definitely times where, you know, you could just could just walk um, but you have a choice of can I keep going or do I need to walk right now? And a lot of the time you, you can keep going. And I was really lucky. I had a few family members um, out there supporting me and it was amazing how much they lifted me at, at those points of real fatigue. Um, and, you know, when it's hurting like that and you still have a couple of hours to go, that that can be also mentally hard compared to thinking, oh, it's two Ks to go. <laughs> um, so learning to sit in that discomfort and, you know, appreciate what your body can do and know that it's it's temporary um it's definitely something that I take into my outside life and I think it has helped my ability to deal with life stresses um and how I react or cope with them um they're definitely there's so much that's transferable in endurance running and ultra running that I think people are discovering that 
that journey is like translating across into their like maybe their confidence at work or their ability to manage stress um and I I see it all the time with people I work with um and that's probably like the most rewarding part of my job is seeing them finish a physical accomplishment and have that confidence or that resilience when you know other factors in life are maybe harder or yeah or maybe they're better and they've learned to to celebrate that and um yeah I don't know like love themselves or yeah yeah um speaking of other people I feel like sometimes the whole narrative in the self-growth world is a bit a bit too internal where like it's all do it for you do it for yourself which I love but sometimes it takes away from the fact that we can still grow with with help from other people and and yes you're doing it for yourself but that doesn't mean you need to push people away and still embracing the support of other people and you spoke about how helpful it was for you so how important are those stable relationships and that environment you've created for yourself helps with not only your running but just life in general really yeah I think um more in recent years and especially with like this amazing dose community and the wider community around me I've actually learnt to ask for help more and also when people ask me for help like most people like want to give it they want to help people and um, be part of that process and I think younger me didn't celebrate much like I definitely have some um, now I appreciate the achievements of, of those times or those events um, and those accolades but at the time it was just like on to the next thing don't celebrate it a little bit like I don't know cut off to it and like strong and like on to the next thing um, and these days I think I'm a, a much happier person and I'm getting better at celebrating it celebrating my achievements with others and also like celebrating other people um but yeah you like absolutely ask for help and you don't have to need help you don't have to be in a bad place to ask for help like you can use it to elevate your life other people's lives um I honestly I think it's magic when you learn to do that what's the role of um goals then because I feel like you can get you know carried away onto like what's the next and not being able to be content with like the process and the journey that we speak of so um what sort of goals do you put in place with like the dose coaching thing but also as like a runner yourself I know you alluded to the 100 mile race so how important do you think goals are uh I think there's times in our lives where other things take precedence and they're a priority and maybe there's times in your life where you have to put a bit more commitment and time into your career or your family and then there's times in your life where maybe you've got a bit more stability there or you're happy and you're fulfilled there and or you're not and then you're choosing to use that running goal um so I think goals can help us get out of tough places or they can help us grow I don't think they're always necessary I think people can absolutely run for mental health and the enjoyment 
Um, but but sometimes having those goals, whether it is for mental health and, and lifestyle or performance, they still intertwine because to run sustainably, you do still need rest days, you need intensity distribution, you might benefit from strength training or Pilates or, you know, something that's like a bit more mindful or relaxing. So... They definitely intertwine, um, but setting a goal that's achievable but maybe ambitious is is really cool as well. So um, my job sometimes is, is usually people come to me with a goal and if they're not very experienced, they might say, oh, I want to do this distance this time and I'd just love to do that in under two hours and then I might say, well, I know that sounds like, you know, it's a good benchmark, but if we break that down per K, that's 20 seconds faster per K for 21 Ks. And then with my experience, like they can look at it in a different light and suddenly that's quite a big jump, whereas when you just look at the big picture, it can seem easy. So sometimes it's the perspective of like looking at what that looks like and then talking someone through – with their achievements and their experience and the the rate of loading that is probably going to be safe and therefore enjoyable and sustainable, working out what is an appropriate goal with them. And it has to be with them because if it doesn't excite them, it's not going to be like fun, um, a fun process. But if it's too high, it can be not a great experience. Um, it can knock your confidence uh, especially if you've committed a lot of time and energy to it. And these days like, I work with a lot of people that are, um, you know, really professional and they love what they do for work and they're also managing, you know, having a family and being there for them. But they don't want to waste six hours a week on training that doesn't get the best outcome. So it's, yeah, working with, with people and working out what's going to be um, something they're proud of if is it achievable in that time um, and and how does that look and what commitment and availability do they have how do you deal with setbacks as a runner and as a coach because I feel like if we're running for more the external reasons it can knock us back than if we are running because we're a runner and that's our identity yeah Oh, that's it's a that's kind of a loaded question. Um, if it's your whole identity, like there's a lot of runners that running, it's a big commitment. They may be doing lots of weekend runs. They're running ninety minutes before work, and then they've got work, and maybe they have to make compromises. And it's not their life isn't as social in other aspects. It's all running, and then you might get injured or ill or something happens and you're pulled away from that I think it can be quite quite a knockback because suddenly maybe that is your social scene as well that's your support scene but you can't be there as much you can't be training um for myself there was definitely a time where it was just such a big part of my identity and now I it's it's a it's definitely a part of my identity but because of my condition with rheumatoid I've learned to maybe like invest in other areas and I mean it could be protective because it it really hurts. I've been knocked back many times when it doesn't feel like I had 
control of that. Um, autoimmune is such a hard thing to manage um, and you learn. So, you know, as I was learning those things, I had so many knockbacks that was so hard that I've chosen to, you know, invest in other ways and partly is, is working with and helping other people um, experience the joy that I do from running. Um but for other people that have invested or it's a big part of their identity and a big part of their life, a knockback can be huge. Uh, so have you dealt with any, I guess, times of burnout or emotional exhaustion just from... Uh, from running from or... Ru- I just yeah, in Life general. maybe, which is with your whole commitment to running because yeah. you're a runner but also you're a running coach and everything's running. But it's, but it's almost like it's not about the running... It's about what you get from the running and sometimes your mind can confuse that. But yeah. it's, it's not that you're, you know, just telling people to run, but you, you're, try, you're helping people push their limits, find the best within themselves, learning the power of hard work and stuff like that. Yeah. Even yeah. though it is running, it's, it's more than that. Yeah, it's so much more than running. And I think anyone that starts running and gets rewarded and, and manages that um, gets to experience that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do have times where I feel exhausted because there is a lot riding on it and especially when I've chosen to make it my career, but, um, for the most of the time it's really energising, uh, and then for other people, if I've had athletes that have been disappointed in performances or knocked back by a a training injury or illness like the flu is a big one if it just gets right in the kind of pinnacle point of marathon training and it's maybe your first one it can be really um, unsettling for the runner because they have a plan and now it hasn't gone to plan it's also something that might be unknown and not guaranteed, you know, not even for very elite runners, the marathon isn't always guaranteed. Um, so for runners, it's kind of having a plan and, and in the early days knowing that, okay, this plan could change and this plan might work beautifully for someone else. But if you're not adapting to the load, we need to change it to get the best outcome for you. And then if something unexpected or unplanned happens, a flu or a family member's unwell and you've pulled from training a bit, whatever it is, um, just working the best plan forward because you can't just make up and cram and pack those sessions in. It's working out how you, you know, how plan B looks and how it can be like best delivered and prepared and experienced. So what do you think are some of the main things that make you an effective coach? Oh, I think... um, I really listen to my athletes. I think I have a lot of perspective around, I think I understand my runners and their reasons and perspective around their lives and their priorities and sometimes just tuning in when things are really good or when they're not so good. Um, So I think I I started Dose intentionally for um, beginner and recreational runners because I felt... They were often the people that were let down. It's easy for someone to put up a eight-week running program, make everyone work really hard, get some short-term benefits and then it unfolds a little bit or it's not sustainable. Mm. Um, but you know, 
recreational runners are different to elite in terms of sitting all day or whatever it is and I felt like it was a bit unjust so I wanted to to work with them and their priorities and their bodies and their you know history like me when I mentioned earlier that I went from 20ks a week to 100 in a 10 week space to racing 100 I also have the context to that is a lifetime you know 20 years of engaging and running in a weekly for the most part when I was healthy enough to do so um so that load is so valuable to my body you know is how to handle it if you are just starting running for the first time it may look like a two-year mm. process um yeah so I think really working with people and listening and understanding and I'm so confident I can give people a really good experience that, uh, you know, keeps them like wanting to run and growing and just changing their their goals and their expectations mm-hmm. of themselves. So you're yoga, oh sorry, Pilates yeah. instructor. So when when did that happen, and how how does that relationship work with um with running? Yeah, I think um I I think anyone in the fitness industry most part are evolving you're always evolving and you draw on your own experiences hopefully they're drawing on the research as well but drawing on your own experiences and there's times and places where you need different exercise maybe mentally or physically there's times where I've um, done yoga almost religiously and, and that was a really appropriate time for my mind and my body to be doing that and then there's times with running where Pilates has lots of benefits, the isometric holds of your muscles or eccentric strengthening or, um, you know, the pelvic stability and holding shapes and, like, moving your body dynamically um, when running's quite linear and repetitive. So uh, for me, it was also an accessible way when I'm working with people in an outdoor environment that tend not to love the gym, they want to be outdoors and um, to give really bite-sized, effective pieces that they can slip into their running routine to, like, yeah, make them, make their bodies feel better. So it's a tool I use for myself and more recently I've doing, been doing a bit more strength training, which I, um, like, highly encourage runners to do as well um but it depends where they are on their running journey so um the the strength in pilates might be the best place to start and as they need more load they might progress into that or yeah it's just about moving the body well learning more about your body um treating it with respect and a bit of tlc Mm -hmm. yeah you spoke about more front end of your journey that you were more in your shell, I guess, with your emotions and you've you've learnt to sort of embrace that, you know, vulnerability. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on, like, um, mental health and being able to be true with how you're feeling and, and working from there? Yeah. Uh, mental health, like, we all have mental health and we probably will all have mental challenges, whether that's, like, a diagnosed thing or just a you know it's very natural to experience sadness and you you can't be happy all the time and if you're happy all the time 
maybe you can't fully experience that happiness because you don't have the lows to compare it to. So I think when you are having a hard time, being able to recognise it and having the self-efficacy or the tools or the network to help you through that, but also can be really healthy and happy, but, you know, still experience grief. I'm a, like, I, I feel truly happy, but I cry regularly with grief, um, you know, losing my sister five years ago, you know, something that I feel saddest when we as a family or myself are experiencing joy and doing family things that I'd want her there for most. Um, and I think just it's a, it's a really hard thing to work through and it's okay to be upset and to express that um, and that you, you can be crying and feel that grief and that, you know, it is pain but you can also be happy and healthy and have that. So, yeah, the the always been happy mindset or, I don't know, there's a bit of it on social media. I think, you know, sadness and our challenges, even if that's mentally, um, it, it has its value and if you can kind of, like, if you have the tools to manage it and get help or you know, work through it or healthy tools like running to, you know, um, look after yourself, then maybe it can help you like thrive and, and be happier as well. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I love that, yeah. Um, so on that intersection between physical health and mental health, I'm a big advocate for it. And sometimes, sometimes when I – it's like – I don't know how you think about this, but sometimes when I feel like I'm dealing with something, I notice is sometimes we delve into delve in exercise and sometimes we don't address the root cause. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like as much as it's so important to exercise, it's like if we never address the true underlying feelings, we, we're, st- we're still distracting ourselves and, sh- and getting away from it, even though yeah. it makes us feel good. Yeah, I still think it's important to deal with Absolutely. I mean, there is such thing as like exercise addiction. Like some people might turn to having a drink when they're feeling down or frustrated and other people might turn to going for a run. And it's not really my call to know whether that's a healthy coping mechanism or whether it's turned to something that's no longer healthy. Um, but, you know, if it's a tool that helps you feel a little bit more balanced, give yourself some time outdoors, usually helps those happy and healthy hormones, um, then it's just a healthy tool. And, like, everyone has a toolkit. And I think as we move through life, we start to add more tools to it. And, yeah, knowing when, like, self-efficacy is, like, partly knowing when to reach in to other tools or reach out to other people um so I definitely I don't think it's the answer um for me it's a really through the times where I haven't run as much when I've struggled with COVID and my heart rate going really high I do feel my mental health suffers and I you know I feel like people around me can observe it as well it's not depressed but it's not thriving either um 
and they are so intertwined, mental and physical health. But what tools you got in the toolkit then? Oh gosh, <laughs> maybe some some of them. Oh, tools definitely. Movement is a big one for me. Movement it, is medicine. Yeah, moving is medicine, and it doesn't have to be running at the times where maybe you've you know got some health challenges and and running is quite demanding on the body then you know I'm really lucky I've got some yoga that I can do at home or I can go to and access in those ways or um you know reaching out to my family and friends um you know having people with different interests uh maybe even breathing is a big one for me I love um the human lab one of my favorites (laughs) Um, and just doing three big inhales, it's a big inhale, getting a little bit more in and then just exhaling and just three of those is supposedly as effective as I think it's 15 or 20 minutes of meditation. I don't know quite how they measure that Um, but for me just that little tool that's so accessible and I can use it driving, I can use it before I step up to do something that you know I can feel my heart rates racing a little bit um so yeah breathing's a big tool uh yeah journaling do you journal I am not a very good journaler I never have been um but more recently I've learned when I'm like prompted with questions so if there's a little bit of a a guide to follow and stimulate that thought that is really helpful for me so maybe I'm a little amateur there hence a bit more support is better um, than some people that I've got friends that write every day in their Mm. journal Um, so it's a tool that I've actually more recently recognized I think I should be doing more of so I think I need to find a tool to help me (laughs) to yeah, yeah prompt me along a little um, I've done a few exercises as a Lululemon ambassador recently that have um, dipped into that a bit more and, yeah, found it really helpful. What about comfort zone? What are your thoughts? I know we've sort of alluded to a lot of it, but I guess there's all that saying like growth occurs outside your comfort zone. What's your take on that? Yeah, that's um, that's something I say as well. And for me... Ultra running is one of those things, Um, but it also changes. So I do a few things that are outside my comfort zone, um, emceeing and hosting events. And like all things, the first few times, it's much more outside your comfort zone. And then they become a bit more familiar and, and you can probably do them better. So like putting your hand up for things that, yeah just accepting like the first time is not going to be the greatest or I think even for myself been willing to put myself in a place where I could fail and I think that changes all the time through life and what stage you're at Um, but I think in the past actually it's probably something I still struggle with sometimes is that fear of failure what if it doesn't or what if you know that's not the case um but I don't really think failure is a thing and thankfully because I have these tools and this great network of supportive people yeah if you share what you're going to do and it does 
fail, I think most of the time people are like behind you to maybe help you get it over the line or to appreciate that you like had a crack and put yourself out there. Um, And maybe if you're not, if you feel like you would get criticised or maybe you need to find a bit of a network that you you can um, risk failing. Because I don't think it's an actual thing. It's more in the mind. It's how we define it, I think. Yeah. Because if you define failure as not giving up, and still trying, then as long as you're still in the game and st- still running, still, you know, whatever you're doing, as long as you're still giving it a crack, then you're not failing. And if I feel like the way we we define things in our lives and the frameworks that we live through are so powerful because it shapes how we feel about them. Yeah. Um. Speaking about, I was talking about failure, which is sort of linked to fear. Um. Do you sort of have any? fears and how with running or um anything with your your job your life what's yeah oh I absolutely have fears um I definitely had a I'm like such a scaredy cat in the water if I've got a surfboard with me I can know rationally it's safe sharks. and that it's okay not sharks um, just of the wave and I'm the a board. big fear <laughs> I'm a shark yeah. well maybe that's not too irrational (laughs) but um yeah so there are things and maybe I just like I don't find that activity a relaxing or a fun thing do I need to push through that fear probably not wouldn't hurt to um I definitely had a fear of heights and then I was on a trip in New Zealand and my life had changed drastically I was in just a much better place and I was really um, a bit more willing to fail, like just to have a go and not not f- scared of that. Um, and I went bungee jumping, which I never thought I would. <laughs> Actually hitchhiked to bungee jumping, wow. which like maybe isn't <laughs> – wouldn't advise yeah. young people to do. But, you know, I was just putting myself out there, did it, was terrified and in that line I saw a few people bail and it was – I think I'm also almost grateful for seeing them walk off because seeing that made me realise I do not want to um, bail out of this. And I I have the footage of it. It's quite <laughs> hilarious. They, they push you off. It was in New Zealand. And I one? almost crouched down onto my heels. Like I'm almost kneeling as I launch off. Um, just in the hope that maybe that little bit less space brings me closer <laughs> or like less height. Um, so it was, it was really beyond my comfort zone. And I said to myself, as I was flying through the air, if I can do this, I can do anything. Mm. And it actually was like quite a bit of a moment for me. I feel like it changed me on a cellular level. Mm. And it's something that I do often think of when I'm, yeah, scared or. So is that sort of a self-talk strategy that you use? And do you use self-talk a lot in running? Like, because I feel like when you're doing an endurance race, like 10 hours and a lot is in the mind yeah. and, you know, you see Goggins, all this self-talk stuff. So how important is self-talk for you? Yeah, I think um, it – I don't think it's something I have to – like, it's not like a chore to do it or to practice it. It's something that maybe just through running has – 
always happened. Like I never thought much about it until I heard other people talking about it. Um, but I definitely do. I kind of, you know, there's a bit of like you can do this or like, you know, stay strong, Scarlet. Like it doesn't matter what, like how I'm talking to myself, but it definitely is positive. I'm not a – there are people out there that are like, oh, you know, they'll self-talk and they're like, you're weak if you don't do this. <laughs> or I don't know, there's different personalities, right? But I'm very much a like, no, you've got this, Scarlet. Like you could do this all day or like up mm. tall, like up, you know, like just something with a bit of strength and oomph. And, yeah, through coaching I could have translated that to people. Like, you know, when we're running up hills, like how we think about it matters, like yeah. as just as much as the technique. So, uh, yeah, it's a tool that's I think really helpful for running and, and a lot of things. Do you delve much into – the gratefulness space? Um, I don't delve into it in terms of um, consuming like social media or podcasts about gratitude, but I it's definitely a practice that helps me stay like mentally healthy and maybe I'm fortunate I have so much to be grateful for. Um, but yeah, I would say I practice gratefulness like Every hour it's just inbuilt into me um, and I don't really know where that came from. Unlike journaling where I need a bit <laughs> of prompting, um, gratefulness and like being thankful for is, yeah, a big, a big part of my, I think, hour to hour. What would be your advice to novice runners looking to you know listening to this wanting to you know maybe being inspired by some of what you're saying and wanting to delve into this space what what are some actionable steps besides you know hitting up dose running yeah <laughs> yeah well I yeah I want everyone to to find it accessible and it fortunately is um the more you get into your goals the more you learn it might not be such a cheap sport you can spend a ridiculous amount of money on gels and shoes and whatnot but um it is accessible in terms of like whether you're a barefoot runner, but for the most part, having a pair of shoes, comfy pairs of clothes. Personally, I feel like if I like the outfit I'm in and I feel comfortable in it, I'll feel more confident. So just sometimes the little things can be a good start. And then um, not every run has to be hard. I think mm. for the novice runner, being really patient with yourself is like so important and accepting that it's not going to be a one run, it's not going to be a one week, it's not going to be a six week. It's probably going to be, you know, a couple of months to really find maybe that meditative space with the running. So I think it's uncomfortable even in times where I've had those knockbacks I mentioned earlier and I became really deconditioned. Um, getting back into it was is really hard and thankfully that you know I can relate somewhat to my runners that you know I'm naturally quite athletic or a bit talented at running um which might sound a bit I don't know uh, full of myself but it's just like that's a strength that I've got and I've nurtured a bit for other people they might be way better at maths than I am um but you know, at the more you work with it, the more sense of ease that's going to, to come. 
So, but yeah, I would say run in inspiring places. I find the trails mentally so much more refreshing than road and I really love road racing as well and I do a lot of my training on road even when I'm trail running because it's more accessible with where I live mm. but um, I think trail is a great space to dip into and running with other people and running with other people running with other people can be um, tricky I think sometimes it's a balance of the two yeah. if you are running with other people and you're having to really push to keep up um it's you're not going to get the same response as someone who's running along there having a chat uh which sounds ironic because you'd think you'd be getting more out of it than them but for building that base maybe they are and you're just having a really stressful time so yeah finding people to run with but maybe also doing a little bit solo to be really patient with yourself especially if if it's already out of your comfort zone to start running, then, yeah, finding support but also having a bit of a solo so you can yeah. walk when you need to yeah. can take pressure off. Have you travelled overseas? Yeah, I have um, been fortunate to do a little bit. Uh, the world is a big, big place and I definitely would like to do more. Um I've been lucky. I've run my first ultra in New Zealand, um, which was an unreal experience, the Tarawira Ultra. Um, but I've also done travelling in yeah, other capacities that haven't been so running focused. Uh, and I think it's the greatest feeling on your brain. Been in a different environment where things are done differently. Like I always feel, yeah, maybe it is happier even though I'm really happy, I'm usually often really happy to come home as well. Yeah. It's just a, a great feeling. I don't think you could lose anything by having different experiences in different cultures. Um, I guess out of curiosity, what are some of your um, running times for maybe <laughs> marathon, 10K? What do we got? So um, I, I think I was all right on the track um, more as a junior before I got rheumatoid at 19. Um, but I, I could run the 400 in 59 seconds was my best. I just could never get any faster than that or it was probably 59 something. Um, could run a fairly good 800. Um, I'd have to look back on that time and the 1500. Road racing probably like I'm really proud to run a 36.05 for the 10K. Um, and that was... Yeah, I guess that hurts a little bit. I'd had, you know, I'd just finished school, done a bit of travelling. I was like, you know, drinking and, you know, doing different things. And then I got back into running and I had like a very short, not even a season of training and I got that result. Um, so I was feeling really optimistic and, and thought this is something I'm going to commit into because I think I have a lot of potential. Um, and then rheumatoid derailed that a bit um, and then returning back to it I kind of skipped the marathon and went straight into <laughs> ultra and I just I love it and with running being such a big part of who I was and now it's a big part but I've learned how to nurture it in a more healthy way given my health challenges um, ultra and trail is just like the best for me it does take away a little bit of the splits and the time because 
I'm sure road runners look at trail runners and think, why, like, I could do that. That's so slow. But they don't know that you're running across slippery rocks and then pointy rocks and the, recently it was a, like, army crawl under a bridge and, you know, river crossings <laughs> and, yeah, it's a, a funny world but it can be quite refreshing to just be out there. and Yeah. What's on the horizon for dose running? Uh, oh, dose. I think it changes and grows with me and my development. And I think starting it as a business um, has four years ago, it's come a long way in terms of there's a lot more systems in place which really allows me to do the research and spend time with my athletes, maybe do pre-race calls, race debriefs and or, you know, be there throughout that process. I work with them both online and in person um, and I really find that connection gives me a lot of energy. So Mm. it's like a bit of a cycle. They're giving me a lot of energy and I can give that back to them. So I'm really grateful for all the people I work with. Um, It's been really fun recently collaborating a little bit more um, with different running groups and movement and... um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting time in my life to ask that actually, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's going strong and I love it and um, yeah, it's yeah, it's been an unreal journey. Last question I have is: Do you do ice baths? Oh, I hate <laughs> the cold. I always have. I've always hated the cold. Um, even like if someone touches me with cold hands, it's my feeling is like it's pain. Um, but I do do it a little bit. Uh, I find it a huge mental battle. I um, you run a hundred kilometers. Come on, ice yeah, baths, not no, that. <laughs> no, honestly, I'd rather run a hundred k tomorrow no. than go in a two degree ice bath no, for three minutes. No it's, way, no yeah. way. Um, but uh, I think I do like the feeling when you hop mm, out. Yeah, yeah, I get that warm and but. Uh, if you're going to row me into it, please contrast therapy. I oh, love yeah. the cold, then the sauna, yeah, then that's the cold. Great. I love that. But yeah, I've got, got some great people around me that are really into it. And I want to be more into it because I, I know that people have yeah. unreal experiences. Okay. But I also, I work outdoors a lot. Yeah. And so when I'm out and I'm exposed in the elements, it's probably more than the, the office worker. Mm. It's quite nice to have comfort as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to, you know, delve into? Oh, um, I think we've covered so much. And, uh, yeah, thank you for having me here. And if anyone has any questions or they want to reach out, um, more than happy to, to hear from them or learn yeah. from them. And, yeah, thank you, Egan. All right. Well, last question from Dad. He says he wanted me to ask you if you wear sunscreen. um i'm trying to be much better at it because i think yeah it's yeah i the vain part of me is like oh i should have looked after my skin when i was younger but i also think yeah in australia you know melanoma is like something i do think about i'm outside all the time as your dad is i i gather um but i've you find really good products i've been using mother and it's a zinc sunscreen it doesn't paste on your face like white zinc used to when we were kids yeah and it's got like the non-tox so i've kind of found a product that i actually enjoy putting on my face now yeah (laughs) yeah all right well thanks for coming on scarlett it's been 
great chat and good to get some insight into you. Um, well, thanks for coming on and hope you guys enjoyed that one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.